It is May 4th, 2017. It is a rainy day here at Parma Elementary. I am sitting here at the entrance waiting for Ruth, the author of Lucky a Broken Girl, to show up. Um, she's going to be here in about 10 minutes, and I'm going to interview her about her book. I'm really excited. Should be fun. Hi, Ruth. Hi, I'm Colby. Colby. It's nice so to nice to meet you. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm sorry about all the rain. Oh, no, no. It's kind of <laughs> gross. So we're going to have to do it in a different classroom Okay. because it's raining. So the kids will have recess inside. Oh, okay. And the principal's office, there's a meeting. So we're going to readjust. Is that all right? Yeah. How's the drive? It's not bad. It's Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Colby Sharp. Today, we continue our Unraveler series with author Ruth Bahar. I'm so thankful that Ruth and her husband drove to Parma Elementary for this interview. In this episode, Ruth talks about her middle grade novel, Lucky Broken Girl. She'll share her hope for the book and how her childhood inspired the story. Take it away, Ruth. My book is Lucky Broken Girl. My name is Ruth Behar, and my publisher is Nancy Paulson Books, an imprint of Penguin Random House. So Lucky Broken Girl is a middle grade novel. And um, it is about a girl named Ruthie, Ruthie Mizrahi, who has just arrived from Cuba uh, to New York with her family in the 1960s and is just beginning to adjust to her new life and a new world, new culture. And then she and her family are in a terrible car accident that leaves her um, in bed for close to a year. And during that time, she learns a lot of things about herself and the world. This actually happened to me. The two things happened. I am an immigrant from Cuba. I arrived as a child to New York and um, had to learn English, had to learn, you know, a whole new, whole new way of doing things um, in the United States. And then we were in this terrible car accident uh, in New York and I was in a body cast for close to a year and uh, all this happened around the time I was 10, so a long time ago, half a century ago to be exact, and uh, I kind of carried this story with me all my life, I think just waiting for a moment when I could tell it from the girl's perspective. This book really was a very organic book. I love fiction, so I've always been reading fiction all my life, and fiction is the one genre that I've always put on a pedestal. I just think fiction writers are amazing. Uh, I love the creativity of fiction writers. So it was something I always wanted to do, but I was also trained as an anthropologist. So I also was taught to tell real stories, to interview people and write my stories based on the truth, right? So, so I was a little wary of fiction, but it was something I really wanted to do. 
And then um, just one day I just started thinking, well, maybe I could tell the story from the girl's perspective. It's now been so many years since I was a girl, a little girl. And um, I just started writing it in this voice of a 10-year-old. And I wasn't sure where it would go. And after a few pages, I realized this is a book for kids because I was telling it from a child's perspective and with a child's sense of language, a child's sense of that mix of wisdom and naivete, this kind of fresh innocence that kids have. And it started coming together in that voice. And then I realized, well, this is going to be a book for kids. And then that led me to read books for kids and kind of go, what, am I doing this right? <laughs> so I started reading books like Brown Girl Dreaming and Wonder and A, a Tree Grows in Brooklyn and, you know, favorite books from my childhood, but also new books that are being written now for middle grade readers. And I was just very, very excited about this genre and writing in this voice for kids. And, and I just kind of propelled myself into this world, basically. So the book starts with this idea, you know, that, that Ruthie's in the dumb class and, um, and she's struggling with this idea, is she dumb or not? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the dumb class, of course, always in quotation marks. I don't think anybody is dumb. Um, but that was the term that was used at that time in the 60s when, when we arrived from Cuba. And basically, if you didn't speak English, you were put in this slow class. And the slow class included kids who had learning difficulties, but also kids who were immigrants and kids who were, quote unquote, delinquents, the misbehaving kids and that was the quote-unquote dumb class and of course the teachers didn't call it that but the kids among themselves they knew that this was the dumb class and um, so Ruthie's very very aware of this and she's aware that it has to do with the fact that she doesn't speak English and that's why she's in this class and and so she knows that and she's trying to learn English but at the same time she she wonders she she second guesses herself and wonders whether she really is dumb you know, is there something that, that it's keeping her from being in the smart class? So she's worried about this. And, and that is very autobiographical because I had the same worry uh, when I came and was in those slower classes and, and was very aware of it, was very aware of how I was being treated and all of that. I think kids are very savvy and they notice when they're being treated that way. So I wanted the book to start there because of, well, the immigrant issue and thinking about how we've progressed as a society and as a country in terms of having ESL, in terms of, you know, welcoming kids who are immigrants and, you know, not, not making them feel dumb because they don't speak English, rather they have a whole other set of cultural yeah. richness that they're bringing to a new society and they've got to learn how to negotiate two languages, two cultures and so on. So I wanted that to be in the book. I think it's just an important thing that people need to know about. It was part of my own experience. And then the other part of it is that Ruthie, um, being in the body cast for close to a year and being in bed um, for such a long time, that's the year that she becomes smart. That's the year that she becomes nerdy. Um, that's the year that she can't move. She's the hopscotch queen of queens. She's a very active girl, but suddenly she can't move. So, um, so she just has to be in one place for a long time. Um, and and the, the, the school, and this was true in real life, my school, my public school in New York, sent a tutor 
to our house um, so that I would not fall behind in school. And we always thought, my family, we always thought that was the most amazing thing. That's when we thought we're really in America. You know, there was this compassion, you know, for, for this girl. It's like, no, we're not going to let her fall behind. We're going to send a tutor to the house. And it was just the most amazing experience. And I wanted to really capture that, this tutor that, you know, that brought me books, you know, that helped me with math. And, and so Ruthie notices that that year she's really progressing. She's getting smart. And by the time she's out of the cast and back in school, she's the smartest kid in her class because she has spent all this time reading and thinking. And so I wanted to kind of stress that, that, that in a sense, anybody can be smart if they spend the time reading and thinking. She had to do it by force. She didn't have any choice but to do that because of the accident and what happened to her. But literally anybody can move ahead if they just kind of spend that time. Um, so I wanted to kind of, you know, bring that point in as well. And that's, that's why I used um, the whole story of the dumb class at the beginning of the book. There's also a boy from India at the beginning of the book, her, her next door neighbor, Ramu, who's also in that class because he speaks Bengali, he speaks another language as well as English, and, and he was having some troubles adjusting as well. So it's also these two kids together um, trying to find their way in school, and I wanted that to be part of the story as well. Well, my hope is that many kids will read it and that they will be able to enter the book from different angles, you know. So there might be the immigrant child who will identify with the immigrant Ruthie, no matter where they're from. So there's that possibility. But maybe there's the child who's not an immigrant at all, but maybe there's the child who's been wounded, who has suffered an injury, who has been bedridden, because what child has not been bedridden even for a couple of days with the flu? And so I'm hoping that the book will have various entrance points for kids and the kids will be able to in some way identify with it, that also the larger theme of brokenness that I think kids can identify with as well, that so many times in our lives, whether as kids or adults, we feel broken, broken away from something or a sense of loss about something, that I think every child has that experience regardless of who they are and where they're from, that that might be something that will be a bridge for kids into the book. So just hope that lots of kids read it and others as well, that, that maybe some adults will read it as well with their kids, with their children, and find it interesting. And, um, and I just hope that it kind of, for me personally, that it kind of opens a door into fiction, into this other form of creativity that I've always wanted to be a part of. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Yarn. Thank you, Philip Stead, for creating our theme song. Today's episode was edited by me and mixed by my pal, Travis Yonker. Travis, I hope you had a great first week of school. Additional music for this episode comes from the Cuban Cowboys via the Free Music Archive. If you have an idea for an episode or season of The Yarn, send us an email, theyarnpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Colby Sharp. Thanks for listening.